Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to a special Changemakers collaboration with the Travel Club for Hotel Lovers, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Over the course of this series, we shine a light on some of the world's most innovative, luxurious, and sustainable hotels and the partnerships behind them. Joining me today are Michael and Zochi Birch, world-class entrepreneurs and founders of The Battery, described as simply San Francisco's best hotel by The Daily Telegraph, and by Forbes as the city's coolest place to stay. Situated across the top three floors of its eponymous private member, club, the 14-room hotel is designed to create a culture where inspiration is embraced, diverse communities come together, and egos are checked at the door. To tell us more, Michael and Sochi, welcome to Changemakers. I tell you, it's a particular pleasure for me to interview you today, not least because I've visited the club, I've stayed at the Battery, totally loved it, but I, I, I was thinking, how might I introduce the Battery? And I and I, do you know what? I could, I'm not sure I've got the power of the words to describe it. So, Michael, I'm going to ask you to set the scene. Where are we? What's it all about? The Battery is a private members club in San Francisco, analogous to many of the clubs one finds in London. We were the first, I'd say, contemporary private club in San Francisco. There's, un, there's certainly going to be more. It's a 58,000 square foot building with hotel rooms, as you mentioned, restaurants, bars. I think we're going to be up to nine bars soon. We have a gym and spa, an outside garden, a penthouse with a roof deck and so on. So it's a, it's a beautiful space that we opened about eight years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We were previously doing a social network, Bebo. We went from 40 million members on Bebo to 4,000 members in the club. So we, uh, whereas everyone else was going in the other direction, we decided to to downscale. Well, you know something about members, obviously, through the Bebo experience. Maybe we'll come back to that. But Sochi, let, let's not lose the sense of the vibe, though. I mean, I suppose those are the, that, that's the kit. That's this wonderful expanse of space. Tell us what it feels like to be in the battery. Thank you. I, I appreciate that question. Because when we first opened the battery, we really wanted it to be about the community and the members. I mean, I've actually never been a member of a private members club, and I definitely had a stereotype about what that would look like. And we want, even though it is a private members club, which usually you think exclusivity, excuse me, um, we wanted the vibe to be inclusive. We wanted mm. people to walk in the door and feel like they're at home and they've met people that they enjoy speaking to. So so that's the vibe that we're aiming for. Sometimes it goes right, sometimes it doesn't. It's an <laughs> ongoing project that will never end. Well, it's really inventive, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, I can remember being sat in the bar and, you know, there were there was a a, a play that was going on in and amongst the, 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 you know, the sort of diners and drinkers. I mean, there's so much that goes on. But I suppose if I was to think about vital ingredients, it's beautifully designed. There is a absolutely incredible design ethos. There is something, as you say, about, about the community and the tech, I guess, in terms of it's got everything you could ever want. But there's something quirky, Michael, as well, in terms of the, I guess, the if you think about the spirit of the place. I mean, is that a fair sort of reflection of, of, of what you've sought to create with this? I think it is. Yeah, we we didn't come from hospitality at all. And we'd never I'd never even worked in a coffee shop, let alone open a private members club. Which What could possibly uh, go wrong? It's- I know we, we <laughs> kind of went into this eyes wide open, knowing knowing we knew nothing about what we were doing. But that was for us. I think that was the appeal. We've been doing tech for so long and honestly got a little bit bored of it. Mm. And we wanted to do something. We want to jump in at the deep end. And so we probably arrived at a different place than maybe we would have done had we come from hospitality or done private clubs or grown up in the industry. Right. So we 
So we just kind of tried to create our version of what we thought would be great. And we part of the, the impetus for doing it was we weren't really enjoying our social life in San Francisco. It's a great city, but we weren't. We were going to restaurants with people we already knew. And the only new person you'd speak to would be the server. Right? Mm. And we weren't getting to know people. There's bars, but they're not great for meeting people. And it's a very random group. And we wanted this kind of more curated, yet eclectic group of members so that we could just turn up on our own and stand at the bar and meet some interesting people and see some interesting things going on. Right. So that that was always it was much more around that experience than it was you know, having great bar service and a nice restaurant. Mm. And, and and also beyond beyond tech, right, in terms of the sort of people you're going to meet are a very, a very diverse group of human beings that, that, that hang out there. Yeah. Yeah. It was very important for us to have members from different industries, different backgrounds, different age groups. I think it just makes life a bit more interesting when you can speak to somebody that's not like you at all mm. it's funny when, when we first opened like the first piece of press we got was like new tech club opens in san francisco and i'm like what a tech club? <laughs> we don't even like people from tech <laughs> i'm sure that, 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 that hopefully that sort of uh, survives the cutting uh, the, the, the editing room but there's a, there's a wonderful phrase that, that you use about activating generosity which is also mm. a big part of I guess, the heart and soul of the place. Tell, tell us about that. Maybe, Sage, would you like to tell us? Yes, yeah, I'm happy to do that. So activating generosity is through our nonprofit at the Battery called Battery Powered. And it's a nonprofit, essentially a big giving circle. So all of our members contribute to a fund. And then we identify nonprofits around the community and then we grant them money for projects that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a really good way to meet other members to talk about issues that are really important to you, as well as supporting the local community. So it's, I mean, um, I mean, it's one of our favorite programs within the battery. I mean, you both have a phenomenal track record as philanthropists and, and having backed and supported a lot of people and a lot, a lot of ideas in terms of how... I guess you spread that message more actively through through the club. I mean, does that turn out to be quite an interesting opportunity in terms of actually how you you franchise the message about the difference you can make? I think it has been. Yes, I think it has been. But I just want to make an important point where Michael and I do individual philanthropy, but with battery powered, we didn't want it to be about us. We wanted it to be about the members. Mm. We wanted you know the members involved. And we wanted them, you know, to identify important issues that are important to them. And I, I suppose maybe that's the message that that I think people should feel around philanthropy is just finding your passion and you can make a difference just to, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It just has to be a lot of heart. Each year we do three different themes. We focus. The very first one was criminal justice. So we don't pick necessarily glossy themes. Like they can be quite, quite tough themes to gritty. talk about. Sometimes. Yeah. Quite gritty. And then within that theme, we identify currently 12 organizations and we typically give grants to about four or five of them. And the grant size is typically around $250,000. I think we've given some fairly a fair bit over $20 million in grants since we started the program. But as, as you mentioned, it's not about us having our passion nonprofits, which we certainly have, and telling everyone else they should support what we support. It's about them finding their passion. And the, yes. the bigger hope is that they find something that they carry on with, right? That we give a grant through Battery Power, so there's an instant reward for the nonprofit, as it were, for taking part. 
but that they then find these members who stick with them and join their board and go much deeper than we can. And, 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 I, and I think that, that was the, I guess, where I was, I was getting to, which is that, you know, in the past, you would, you would join a club because it had got great facilities, it had got great features. Today, your club is also about a purpose. And, you know, the, there's a club in London called the Conduit Club, which, which I guess has got some of the, the same sort of ethos. But I mean, you know, you, you've been treading this ground for some time. And I suppose my, my question is more about, well, what ultimately that must create a fairly unique destination in terms of the people you're going to meet. And I'm thinking about the people who might be listening to this to this episode. I, I'm probably thinking, well, I'm going to go to the bar. Who are the sort of people I'm going to meet there when I when I say hello? Talk yeah. about some of your some of your favorite guests, if you can share the stories. <laughs> our favorite guests, we can't really. <laughs> the one that we left never, early. <laughs> well, we never we never disclose who members are, so it's a difficult one to tell stories on, unfortunately. So we uh, so there's discretion, Michael, in the in the in the battery. Good to know, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So there are some great stories, and I just wish I could share them with you, but <laughs> you don't. Well, I suppose it's a good enough reason to visit. Now, you obviously, you know, you mentioned earlier on in the interview that neither of you sort of approached this as being, you know, heirs to the JW Marriott fortune or or uh, or, or, or experienced hoteliers. I mean, you, you fundamentally approached this, I guess, as entrepreneurs, as as people that knew how to how to build businesses. Tell us a little bit about how your how that maybe impacted the vision, and I, I guess. The dynamic about how you two work together. Um, so, Chang, I'm going to give you the the the, uh, the, the first right I'm, of response. I'm happy to start. So, Michael is definitely the creative one. So, he's when you talk about the details in the club and the interior design, he's really involved in that part of it. I'm more operations, which was very difficult. I think if I would have had a little bit more knowledge around hospitality, I, I'm not sure I would have kind of <laughs> been involved in this project. Ignorance it, is bliss. Ignorance <laughs> is bliss. It is difficult. It is 24-7. Every meal is that one plate and that matters on on how it's delivered to the members. So it was it was tougher than we thought. The first couple of years were a struggle, but I hear from other people that, that that's quite normal when you're opening a, a new club or a new restaurant. And it was, um, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it's an probably, interesting <laughs> It's probably well, like childbirth. You kind of forget about it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, obviously, one theme of this interview is that you both know how to be discreet. But in terms of what you've what you've learned about yourselves, Michael, what, what would you say? I mean, going through, uh, you know, a process of building a, a completely different business, as you said, one minute you've got 4 million members. And I suppose, you know, that's a fairly anonymous group. Now you've got 4,000 members and you know exactly, you know, a sense of who they are, where they come from, what they like. Have you had to adapt to to make that change? Do you think? I mean, it's a de- very different to a, a tech business. I find it a lot more enjoyable. It's I do enjoy tech, and we are still actually heavily involved in tech as much as I may knock it. But it's it's that it's that personal connection and the kind of the the, the much closer relationship you have to your customer is a lot more interesting, right? You can exchange emails with people on a social network, and sometimes you meet people, but it's it, it's it's much harder to build an online community in many ways than it is a real world community, right? Mm. Harder and easier in a way. Certainly easier to scale online. The, 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 as soon as you get into the physical experiences, it, it's it's a much harder work to kind of keep that going and keeping it fresh, right? We mm. are, as you mentioned earlier, we're constantly providing content as well as the community, right? There's probably about two member events per day in the battery uh, pre-COVID times. Uh, yeah, we're going to get on to COVID, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> 
But, you know, there's constant, constant programming. And we have a team of 206, I think, in, prior to COVID. It's probably down by about a third at the moment. But mm. it's a lot of people, 40 different managers, 14 directors. It's, it's in many ways a far more complicated business than running a social network was, even though it's a much smaller audience. And Sage described you as, as the creative one. How would you describe Sage? I mean, she described herself, I think, as more the opposite. She, she's the kind of rational voice of reason sometimes, I would say. Uh, <laughs> yes. Michael, uh, I like to wave my hands a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Michael waves, yeah, Michael waves his hands and I and I say, well, why don't we start off doing this first? <laughs> and then we'll get there. She's talking like, me off the, most the, of the, time. the voice of competency. We're, we're glad to hear that, I'm sure. Now, it, I mean, you, you mentioned COVID and of course, it, it, nowhere has it been more commercially difficultly felt, I think, than, than a lot of frontline retail businesses, which of course, hospitality is... Um, a huge part of. I mean, in terms of the experience and, and, and how you're emerging from it, what do you take out of that? I mean, it's obviously been incredibly tough for hospitality. Private members clubs, I would say, we, we're, we're part of a group of, I speak frequently with other owners of clubs, and I think as a sector, they've done better than most hospitality because there's membership dues, which by and large have carried on during the pandemic. I don't know how most restaurants or bars are still open at all at this point. I mean, it's been financially, it's still a difficult time for us, even with that side of it. And it's just been tough. You know, it's, it's a people business, right? The, you, you are very close to, to both members and staff and, and a lot of people's lives been heavily impacted. And as much as we've tried to, you know, keep as many staff on as, as we can and continue to provide healthcare through the pandemic and, you know, it's, it's, there's only so much one can do. And thankfully, the government has both in the US and the UK done quite a lot to help the sector, but it's been very tough. And I wonder actually whether, you know, in your particular instance, Sage, is that, you know, on the one hand, you know, part of your day job is your technologist. And of course, te- technologists have tended to have a, had a very different pandemic experience. Now, on the other hand, you're running this magnificent, you know, hospitality venue where you're seeing the, the very, very real bricks and mortar challenges of, of running that business i mean th- does that provide a slightly different view do you think a perspective i think it does because you just have such a close relationship with with the staff and members as michael was saying and we had our uh, one of our first in person events for battery powered just just last I think it was a couple of nights ago and I was talking to the staff I've been seeing a lot. So, you know, you kind of see how their, how their lives are being impacted. And, you know, some, some people were very worried about going back and talking to other members the other night, you realize that some people have really going through emotional distress. You know, I would say it's almost like PTSD, you know, and they'll, you know, talk about the last year and it's, it's difficult. It's, when you see it that up close, you you realize how impacted everybody is. I mean, of course, everyone goes on with their daily lives and, and tries to cope, but sometimes it's more difficult than others. So one of the, the absolute privileges of this show is that I've been traveling around the world from, from my PC to um, actually go to some extraordinary places. And I guess one of the common themes that has come up is this, this sense that travel will be different, that it might be more conscious, that the the nature of the guest might be changing in terms of what people are actually looking for in terms of what they do i mean is that something that, that you recognize and, and and i suppose if so or if not what, how how that might impact your your thoughts about the future of uh, i guess the battery and the way that you might 
um, and saying guests and members for the for, for, for the shape of things to come. I think it's hard to predict the long term impact of the pandemic. Right? We've we've clearly all adapted significantly during the pandemic. And I think there's going to be there's going to be a hangover from it, right? I think the the a lot of companies were scared to allow remote working at all, and now they've had to do it for literally every member of staff. So I think a lot of people, in terms of the way they work, are going to go back to a more of a hybrid model rather than fully back to the office. I think the need to travel on business trips perhaps has changed forever. Right? We've been forced to do Zoom calls and found out that maybe we're getting a lot more done doing this than spending our lives on sitting on planes and checking into hotels. But I also think there's this this sort of a pent-up demand and hunger now to travel again, right? We okay. you always want to do what you can't do, and we haven't been able to travel. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see, particularly in the one or two years after, what really happens. Well, what happens, and I suppose the question, Sergio, to you then, is, is, is that movement with meaning? I mean, is there going to be something more more conscious in, in the way we do these things, do you think? I hope so. I mean, you know, as a traveler, you can, you do want to connect with the place you're going to. Do you want to have to understand the vibe and the people? I mean, when Michael and I travel, we, um, we do like our bars. We usually end up at a local bar trying to talk to people that live there. And I think that gives you a real sense of what that, that city or country is like. So hopefully people will connect in that way. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned bars because, um, of course, the last time I, I interviewed you, Michael, it was it was at the pub within within the battery, which I thought was a, a quintessentially British export that you had obviously uh, both <laughs> taken. I mean, we'll get on to your UK endeavours and elsewhere, but tell us how the, how the pub goes down with the local San Franciscans. I mean, do they do they see it? They like it? I wouldn't say what we have in the battery. I wouldn't call it a pub. I'd call it a bar. Sorry, apologies. No, that's all right. We actually have a pub in our home, which is much more. We imported a pub from England, a closed down bar in England. We imported a bar and built an English pub in the home. With the battery, we were very careful not to be overly thematic. We we have the occasional nod to England and the Queen. I have a, a lovely painting of the Queen in the battery. <laughs> we didn't we didn't want to do the red telephone box and all these kind of things that are a little too maybe cheesy. But yeah, but pubs and bars have been part of our. We we actually met in my college bar in South Kensington, Imperial College, many years ago. And so bars have always been a central theme to our lives, and we tend to put bars in any home we buy. And well, and I mean, I mean, I'm almost. I'm almost sort of like quaking at the idea of bringing back the pub after that, after that bad description <laughs> of it. But, but, I mean, but I mean, but I mean, you have gone to Devon and you've got a, you've got a brand new venture there, yes. which, which I, I guess a lot of our UK guests can, can experience whether they can fly or not right now. Tell, tell us a little bit about, about said pub. That is definitely a pub. We're not calling that one a bar. <laughs> Remotely, not a, not a bar at all. So the project in Devon is a, in a village called uh, Wolfardisworthy, or for short, known as Wolsey. It's a village that my ancestors have lived in since 1700. This project makes no rational sense from a business perspective at all. It's a total passion project. It's My grandmother was born in the village shop that her great-great-grandfather built. It's, you know, we have cousins still in the village that we're very close to, so it's ah. It's a total passion project and it's it's fun and it's a it's a beautiful village. It's a beautiful part of of, of Devon. It's on the near the north uh, Devon. Are, are you bringing any West Coast bars to the pub? No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, this, this project is 100% English and we don't, we, yeah, it's not cliche English. It's just a lovely English village. So we, we bought this pub that was closed derelict for a while and was they were, the owner was trying to get permission to turn it into a block of flats. And it's a four, 350-year-old thatch cottage pub. 
So it started with that and then it just snowballed. Then the fish and chip shop next door became available. And then the manor house across the street became available. And we bought that. We're turning that into a boutique hotel. We hired a two Michelin star chef for the pub who will then eventually run the hotel across the street. We bought the corner shop that my great great grandfather built and we're renovating that and putting his name back above the door as it was in an original photo we have. My cousin runs the farm. We bought a bunch of farmland around and and so it's very much farm to table with regards to the food. So yeah. A wonderful story. I mean, I suppose this then brings us you know, to, to the future journey, I guess, actually, because you know, we're, we're hearing there. I mean, I, I remember when, when, I, when I interviewed Michael, I, I came away thinking, right, that's a guy, he sold Bebo. I, I hadn't met you at the time. And I thought, right, he's got his side hustle with, with, with the battery and that may well be, you know, happily ever after. But it feels and sounds, I mean, look, you're, you're both back into tech, you've got the battery, you've got other plans, which um, I'm sure you'll, you'll tell us about in a moment. But it feels like it, 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 it's full steam ahead, is it? It, it is. It, it feels like we're addicted to uh, hospitality at the moment. <laughs> we also we also bought a, a building in Oakland, so we'll be expanding the battery, uh, adding a location in the Bay Area. And, and will that will that be different? Tell us about Oakland and why it's different to San Francisco, and actually what 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 they what what guests might is, is it a club or will people be able to stay? I guess yeah, it's still early stages, and we um, so it'll be another location, and we're just trying to expand around. Around the Bay Area. So we'll be um, focusing on the East Bay, which does have a different community and vibe. And we, I mean, we're looking forward to having like a, an additional mix of members that can either visit the Oakland Club or come to San Francisco and vice versa. I, I suppose in terms of now, in terms of what you both see yourselves as like this last this last question, in terms of is this the technologist that does hospitality or are you both now hospitality people that happen to be doing some pretty cool technology? Well, the main focus on the tech side, perhaps not surprisingly, <laughs> is hospitality technology. Is, so this, we, is this Sonata? Is, is Sonata, yeah. yeah. And it's relatively stealth mode. So I'll tell you a little bit more about it. We're, so prior to opening the battery, we went to license the software and thought we'd just go and get a nice shrink wrap piece of software that runs everything you do in a club. And then realized that the, the market for hospitality software, particularly for clubs, is was really, really poor. And so... I did. We did the battery to get out of tech, and then about nine months prior to opening the club, I was coding fifty hours a week, writing the code to run the club. <laughs> I was like, this is not going to plan. And so I spent about nine months coding significant amount, and then we. So a lot of the software we used to run the club was software that we wrote ourselves, and then we built a team out around that and. So the goal is to then provide software for other private clubs and hotels under the Sonado name. But more recently, we've been, as part of Sonado, we've set up something called Sonado Alliance, which is a network of independent private clubs. So it kind of competes with the So House, Any House, I forget what they call their membership now, mm. the membership where you can visit any So House. So they have about 30 locations at this point. And we have 30 independent clubs now. We expect that to go up to about 50 in six to 12 months time. And so if you're a member of one of those clubs, you can then you have an app on your phone. It's almost like an, the Uber for private clubs, right? So you're in a city, you pull it up. There's two clubs in that city. You can say, I want to go there tonight at seven o'clock and I'll get a table for two. And then you rock up at the club and they're expecting you and you can go in and, and have that kind of full member experience. So that's literally in the process of rolling out. Clubs are going live. 
well, some clubs are live now. Most will go live in September with them. So there we had the creative mind at work, actually happily straddling the technology and hospitality world. Where, where, where do you see your, your passion now in terms of where it lies? I'm definitely on the hospi- hospitality side, excuse me, hospitality side. And I'm still heavily involved in a lot of philanthropy. Well, I think that's a wonderfully succinct way of bringing our conversation to a close. Michael and Sochi Dretch, thank you so much for sharing the story of the battery and, and so much more and joining me for uh, this episode of Changemakers with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Changemakers with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And you can find out more about the Smith Hotels collection at mrandmrsmith.com, where listeners to this podcast can enjoy a special £30 discount of any of these extraordinary hotels with the voucher code CHANGEMAKERS. That's the voucher code CHANGEMAKERS for £30 on any Smith Hotel. Thanks for joining us. CHANGEMAKERS is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?